you're visiting with us today, we want to catch you up to date just a little bit. Our theme this year is living an abundant life. Some at Northside are beginning to trust the Lord that he really did come to give us an abundant life, starting to move that direction, and lives and families are starting to change a bit, I believe. Jesus did say, I am come that they might have life, eternal life, and that they might have it, earth here on this earth, more abundantly. He talked about a rich uh, quality life overflowing uh, with joy. Uh, The God of all joy uh, does not want us to live a joyless life. He wants us to live an abundant life. In fact, he says, I came that they might have an abundant, rich, full, overflowing life. If a farmer wants to have an abundant harvest, we Kansans know that it's not an overnight miracle. It takes a process, and that's kind of the way we're thinking about this abundant life deal this year. And a a farmer has to clear the field of the bad things, get the bugs and the weeds out and all that, then plant the right seed, fertilize it properly, and then he gets the harvest. Well, our plan to get an abundant life is very similar to that. If we want an abundant life, we've got to start by clearing the field. So that's what we've been working on the last couple of weeks, uh, clearing the field, not of weeds and bugs, but of other noxious problems, sin and worry and guilt and other things that we'll talk about in the weeks ahead. Last week, we talked about uh, worry. Before that, we talked about sin. Those are two life-destroying problems. They destroy the abundant life. Uh, they've got to be hacked to pieces. They've got to be gotten out of the field so that we can plant the right things and get the abundant harvest that we want. Uh, so we've talked about sin and worry today. Let's consider another life-stealing problem, pride. Now, stop right there, some of you. Don't tune me out so fast. I know some of you were just ready to quit right then. And you say, well, how did he know that? Well, I I can watch you. I see your faces. And I I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you, as soon as you saw that word pride, you said, okay, uh, those rich, fancy folks that uh, get all puffed up and all that, uh, they can listen to this, and I'll tune back in when everybody stands up. You were just going to tune out for the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, because you don't think you have a pride problem. Well, pride's a nasty problem. Pride's sneaky. Pride's a devious thing. C.S. Lewis said this about it. He said, yes, pride is a perpetual nagging temptation. Keep on kicking it in the head, uh, but don't be too worried about it. Because as long as one knows one is proud... One is safe from the worst form of pride. Now, I'm not sure I agree with everything he said there, but he did get part of it right. Being proud is not recognizable sometimes. A people that have it the worst don't think they have it. So people that need to listen to the sermon the most think the rest of you need to listen to it. Now, pride's kind of a, a tricky problem that we're dealing with this morning. I realize I'm not talking to everybody here. In fact, I said that about this whole year. I'm not talking to everybody, but I do know this. 
I know that the Spirit is targeting some folks in here with this. The Spirit led me to decide to talk about pride because he knows there's some folks in here that need to deal with it. And my guess is it's more than I would imagine. But I don't know who that is, but let's pay attention for the whole time and see if it has any application to you. Let's start where Brother Terry just read for us in the little book of Esther. It's got a great story about a fellow who hanged himself, and he hanged himself with pride. The story, most of you are very familiar with it, uh, about Haman and Mordecai and Queen Esther and all of them. In fact, this story is what gave me the sermon title, Don't Hang Yourself. We don't want to be like Haman. He hanged himself with pride. That was my second choice for sermon title. Uh, If you pay attention, I may tell you the first choice a little bit later when we get to it. But my second choice was Don't Hang Yourself because of what Haman did. Uh, If you remember the story, and let me give it to you briefly, Esther was a Jewess. She was queen in the, the country here with King Xerxes. And Mordecai was a Jew. He was related to her. Haman was a big shot that worked for the king. And he had a problem with Mordecai. His problem was that he was such a big shot, Haman was, Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. Uh, When he'd go past the gates, Mordecai would be there, and everybody else would bow down to Haman. But Mordecai wouldn't. Mordecai knew who he served. He served one king. Well, that bothered Haman. That got under Haman's skin. Haman was a proud man. He didn't like that. So he came up with a plan to get rid of all the Jews. Uh, He dealt with the king kind of surreptitiously, and he got this plan all in place where he was going to get the Jews, especially Mordecai, uh, disposed of, hanged. Well, one little problem in there. Mordecai had saved the king's life one time. So Mordecai was kind of tight with the king. And Haman didn't know about that. So Haman dreams this whole big plan up and gets the gallows ready for Mordecai and all that. And about that time, the king remembers that he's never done anything to reward Mordecai. So he's trying to think about, what can I do to really reward old Mordecai? And that's when Haman walks into the court. And that's where it gets funny here in the passage that was just read for you. In verse 6, Haman walks in. And the king, thinking about Mordecai, says, Hey, Haman, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? Haman, thanks to himself, (laughs) who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, well, for, for the man that the king delights to honor, you need to have a royal robe. And you need to get a special horse, and you get a special headdress on the horse, and you and you put the robe and on him, and you lead him through the uh, streets of the city, and let everybody honor him. I mean, Haman's dreaming up a good parade here, because he knows he's going to be on the horse. This is going to be something, and he just dreams it all up, and he tells him all this to the king about how wonderful it's going to be, and says, "This is what's done for the man the king delights to honor." So the king says, "Well, go get it already." And get Mordecai and put the robe on him and put him on the horse. Can you? Would you like to see Haman's face about that time? It, a proud man is brought low. A proud man is devastated. And he went and did it. He had to do it. The king had told him to. And then he rushed home with his head covered in grief. Well, a little later in the story, it gets even worse. 
Uh, he's got the gallows all prepared to hang Mordecai, and Esther reveals the plot. She tells the king about what Haman was really planning to do to his buddy Mordecai, and the king has Haman hanged on his own gallows. Haman had it all. Uh, he had it going. He was a big shot in the kingdom. What was his problem? What got him? Well, pride got him. Just the fact that one fellow wouldn't bow down to him started him down the wrong road. And it got worse and worse, and then he got Mordecai elevated, and then he got himself hung. It just went downhill from there. That principle that pride will bring you down is taught all through the Bible, and it's revealed in life. We've all seen it happen. We've seen people who have that kind of pride and other kinds of pride that Haman had, and they get brought down. Pride's dangerous. Now, some of you I know are trying to figure out, okay, I don't know if I'm proud or not. I mean, I'm proud of certain things, but does that mean I have this problem of pride? You ever see somebody with a bumper sticker that says, my, my kid's an honor student? Well, they're obviously proud of their child. Is that bad or not to, to be proud of something like that? Well, we probably better define it before we go on. So I believe that the Bible describes two kinds of pride. I think the Bible talks about a, let's call it a good pride, and the Bible talks about a bad pride. For instance, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, guess what? You've got to love yourself. You've got to have some esteem for yourself. Not necessarily what the world teaches about self-esteem, but we've got to value ourselves somewhat. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you. Specifically because you're a young man. He says, don't let people look down on you. You set an example. Well, when Timothy did that, he was proud in a sense. He was proud that he was setting the right example. The Apostle Paul wrote back to places he had been, and he said, you remember how we lived. We didn't do anything wrong in front of you. He was proud of that. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 says that the early church enjoyed the favor of all the people. They behaved in such a way that everybody looked up to them. Uh, there's a right to be proud about that, that people respect your behavior and your church and your, your fellow Christians and all that. So there's a good kind of pride, but it's also obviously a very bad kind of pride. Proverbs 26:12, the wise man said, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Uh, something bad about that kind of pride. Proverbs 16:5 says pretty clearly, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. So there's a line there somewhere. Now, I admit drawing the line's hard between a good kind of pride and a bad kind of pride. I talked about the honor students and kids. It's good to be proud of your kids. But some of you know some folks who have crossed over that line where, where they brag all the time. And that's all they talk about is their kids or their grandkids. And they just worry out with it. Yeah, they've got a bad kind of pride. Well, drawing the line's hard, but we got to draw it somewhere. So I came up with this guideline for you. Here's a good guideline. We need just enough pride to keep our chins up, 
but not our nose. That makes sense to you? Oh, we ought to have enough pride to walk around with our heads held high and our chins up that we're doing all right, but not to the point where our noses get up in the air a bit. I don't know exactly where that line is, but maybe you can draw it somewhere there. We shouldn't go around beaten down. You know, Christians aren't supposed to go around with no self-esteem and badmouth themselves and their family and their job and their church and everything else. We need our heads and our chins up, but not our noses. So let's try that for a guideline. Now, let's figure out what's really wrong with pride. Pretty fundamental, folks. Pride is sin. I told you that last week about worry. It's true here also. Proverbs 24, 21, verse 4 says, haughty eyes. That's King James talk for pride. Haughty eyes and a proud heart are sin. Doesn't say they're kind of wrong. Doesn't say it's not a good idea. Doesn't say I recommend against it. It says they're sin. Haughty eyes and a proud heart are sin. Now, I know we've already talked about getting sin out of our lives. That was habitual, willful sin. Habits and things that we do that are wrong and we know it, we got to pull them out and hack them to pieces. But pride's more subtle than that. And in some ways, pride's more dangerous than some of those things. So let's talk about what's really wrong with pride. We need to know that almost always pride comes first. In fact, I think we can safely say that pride was the first sin in heaven and the first sin on earth. 1 Timothy 3.6 warns against becoming conceited and falling under the same judgment as the devil. Okay? Now there's a lot of legends and a lot of misconception about Satan's fall. He was an angel. He was in heaven. He did something wrong, and he got kicked out with a bunch of other angels. And there's all kind of legends, and people take passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel about some kings and try to make them apply to Satan, and some of them maybe kind of do. But we don't know exactly all the details, but we can be pretty certain that his problem was pride because of what Paul told Timothy. He said, don't get conceited or you fall under the same judgment as the devil. Pretty clear that his problem was pride. Some people say he was the most beautiful angel. Some people say he was the head angel. Some people tell all sorts of stories and say he got proud about that. I don't know what he got proud about for sure, but that was his problem. And then he used the very same temptation, the very same thing that had got him, he used it to tempt Adam and Eve. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we find out that story. Eve saw the, fr- or saw the fruit and Satan told her, eat it and you will be like God. Now there's a temptation of pride, isn't it? You won't be like God? Well, just eat this fruit. When he had said they'd been told not to. And then Eve saw that it was desired to make one wise. Pride got her, pride got Adam, pride got Satan, pride's been getting people ever since. It comes first. There's another problem with it. Proverbs 6 verse 16 lists seven things that God hates. And the first thing in the list is pride. A haughty look, 
haughty eyes, pride. God hates it. So the number two thing that's wrong with pride, it's hated by God. Well, you'd think we could probably quit there, wouldn't you? (laughs) I mean, it's sin and it's hated by God. Maybe we ought to try to avoid it. Maybe we ought to stay away from it. It's sin and it's hated by God, but it's worse than that because pride leads to more problems. In fact, it leads to almost every other problem. Pride opens the door for sins, other sins, almost all other sins. Fulton Sheen, who used to be a TV radio speaker, said, Pride is the king of vices. It is the first of the pallbearers of the soul. Other vices destroy only their opposite virtues. Wantonness destroys chastity. Greed destroys temperance. Anger destroys gentleness. But pride destroys all virtues. When I first read that, I thought, I'm not sure about that. I thought, I've got to think about that a little bit. So I started thinking of virtues. A good virtue list is in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those. Well, just go down through the list and see if pride destroys those. First one's love. What is love? Love is wanting better for the other person. Putting the other person first. What's pride do to that? Kills it, destroys it. When you are the most important, you don't care about the other one first. Pride destroys real love. And you just go on down the list. It does destroy the other virtues. I I fear that we don't realize how susceptible we are to pride. I don't think we realize how widespread it is. It's in so many places. And my thought as I was working on this sermon is, well, I need to find a few Bible examples. I'll find a Bible character or two, like Haman, that got in trouble because of pride. I couldn't believe how many just kept popping up. Every time I thought of somebody and would look them up and read about them, pride's in there. Not everybody, but a whole bunch of them. You see, pride's one of the big three. There's only three things that get us. We've talked about that before, First John 2. Uh, the only thing that comes from the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So it's one-third of the problem. So at least one-third of folks get in trouble with pride, and I think it may be more than that. I couldn't believe how many characters in the Bible were brought down directly by pride. In fact, I made you a list on your sheet so you can go home and read the stories. Just real quickly, let's go over them. Pharaoh and Isaiah. They were so proud of their power that it did them in. Pharaoh in Exodus 5, 2, Moses told him, he said, you let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I'm the king of Egypt. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 16, that's a very interesting story. Uh, he became the king of Judah. He was king for 52 years. He built towns. He built uh, great towers. He built a great army and war machines and all that. And verse 16, right before it says, he was greatly helped. Look this up when you get home. He was greatly helped 
until he became powerful. And after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. God helped him for all those years and built this great kingdom. And finally, Isaiah got to the point where he thought he had done it. And he had so much power. He he was something special. And he got proud. And the Bible says pride led to his downfall. Well, what happened? He decided he wanted to work in the temple one day. Kings don't get to work in the temple. That's what priests do. So the king walked in, grabbed the incense. He said, I'm going to burn a little incense here. The priest had a fit. They said, you can't do that. You can't do priestly work. He said, I'm king. I can do anything I want to. And he flew into a rage at the priest. And while he was in the middle of his rage, he got struck with leprosy. And the priest said, "Uh, excuse me, (laughs) you got leprosy. You can't be in the temple. He lived in seclusion the rest of his life. Away from the palace, away from his power, away from everything. God brought him down. Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up in his heart by his accomplishments. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 30. I got that wrong on your handout. It's not verse 20, it's verse 30. Daniel 4 and verse 30 says that he stood on the wall and looked out over his city and said, Look at what I have built. By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Proud problem. Proud of his accomplishments. Then the Bible says, as the words were on his lips, as he said, look at what I've built. As the words were on his lips, the voice from heaven said, your royal authority is taken from you. You will live in the wild like an animal until... You understand that the Most High is sovereign. And he suffered that punishment. You can read about it there in Daniel chapter 4. Now, I'm telling you Bible stories, but these aren't just old dusty Bible stories. These are examples for us. Apply them. Look at your life. Maybe power is not a problem in your life. Maybe your accomplishments are. Start to look at these things. People that... Uh, manage things or own things or in public, sometimes get proud of their own accomplishments. Preachers have a great temptation there. Preachers sometimes get blessed with a great congregation. They get to thinking they've done something special. You've got to work at keeping that pride out of your life. One preacher was being complimented profusely after a particular sermon. The person was going on and on. Oh, that was so wonderful. That was a great sermon. That was the greatest sermon I ever heard. You know what the preacher's response was? He said, yes, I know. Satan's already told me. Some preachers aren't that wise. (laughs) Some don't understand that where they're getting things from. Some preachers that aren't that wise need a little help sometimes from their wife maybe. Read about one preacher who got a note from a member that told him he was the best preacher she had ever heard, that he, he was better than Billy Graham, he was better than this person, he was better than that one. So he took this note home and showed his wife. He said, look at this. And she said, who's that person? And he said, well, obviously a very intelligent member, a very perceptive listener. He said, she says I'm a great preacher. How many really great preachers? Do you think there are in the world? 
His wife said, one less than you think. So sometimes we need a little help. Uh, the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 had a case of spiritual pride. Okay, now we're, we're getting here with this. You may not have a power problem. You're not king of anything. You do have some accomplishments. How about this one? Spiritual pride. We're familiar with the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Verse 9, if you read the whole parable, verse 9 before it starts, it tells us who Jesus told this to. Doesn't say that very often, but it says he told this to folks who were confident of their own righteousness. He had a group of folks there that were confident that they were doing everything right spiritually. And so he told them this parable. Told them about a Pharisee that went to pray and said, oh, thank God that I'm not like the rest of everybody. Thank God that I'm so much better than everybody else. Thank God that I fast and tithe and I do all these things just right. And then the publican went in and wouldn't even look up to God. You know the rest of the story. And the conclusion is the Pharisee was not justified. God looked at his heart and he was not justified. You remember what justified means from the book of Romans. He was not in favor with God. Think about that now. What he's saying is there is a danger in people being proud of doing everything just right but their hearts aren't right with God. The spiritual pride will bring them down. King Herod in Acts chapter 12 died because of his pride in his abilities. This whole story in here is about him giving a great speech. Speakers need to be aware of pride. Sometimes it's easy not to be proud when you're speaking. Ronald Reagan used to tell a great story about giving a speech in Mexico City when he was governor of California. And he he got up and gave this speech, and he said when he was done, there was pretty unenthusiastic applause. And he sat down a little embarrassed. He said then another speaker got up after him and started speaking in Spanish. And Reagan said, "I, I didn't understand Spanish. But this guy was speaking and everybody was just applauding like crazy. He said almost every paragraph, they'd just go crazy and clap and cheer. And he said, so out of embarrassment and trying to cover up for what I'd done, I started clapping along with them. And I started clapping before anybody else did, and I clapped longer than anybody else did. He said, finally, my ambassador leaned over to me, and he said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He's translating your speech. <laughs> so sometimes it's easy to not have pride when you're a speaker, but sometimes it's not. King Herod gave a speech and the people said, that's not a man. That's a God. That was a great speech. And Herod believed it. Herod got puffed up, the story says, and the story says right there while he was still in the pulpit, an angel came and struck him down, and he got worms. He was eaten of worms and died. That was my first choice for the sermon title. (laughs) Don't hang yourself is good, but don't get eaten by worms. That's a really good one. But I decided to go with don't hang yourself. Herod, I mean, that was amazing to me. The pride got him. Pride in just a speech. Naaman Second Kings 5 was proud of his position. He was a commander of the army. He was a big shot in Aram. 
but he had leprosy. And a little Israelite captive girl told him, said, if you just go over to Israel, they've got a prophet over there to fix you up. So he had the king write him a letter to the king of Israel. He took it over there, said, heal this man. This man's important to me. You get him healed up, the king was, sent him to Elisha. Elisha saw him coming. Elisha stayed in his house and sent a messenger out. He said, you go out and tell him, dip seven times in the Jordan and he'll be all right. That got to uh, uh, Naaman. He said, he sent a messenger out to talk to me? I am a commander of the army. And he, he said, it just, I'll put the quote there for you. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me. And I thought he'd wave his hand over me. And I, I thought he would cure me. See, because he was such a big shot, he had it all figured out how everybody ought to treat him. And he wasn't cured of the leprosy then. Finally, his servants talked him into it. They said, hey, if he'd have told you to do some big deal, you'd have done that, wouldn't you? He said, well, yeah. Well, just go try it. So he did it. He went and dipped seven times in the old muddy Jordan. When he came up the seventh time, he was cleaned of his leprosy. But while he was focused on himself, he still had leprosy. King Hezekiah is the last one I put down for you. His pride caused him to be ungrateful. God saved his life. You read the story when you get home. God saved his life, and verse 25 says, But Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. He didn't even thank God for saving his life, evidently. Therefore, the Bible says, the Lord's wrath was on Hezekiah and on Judah and on Jerusalem. See, pride causes problems for more than just the persons sometimes. Uh, we can go on and on with cases from the Bible. Do you see how many areas of danger uh, there are for pride to latch on to? Power and accomplishments and spiritual pride and your own abilities and your position and your ingratitude because of your pride. There's lots of areas where pride will sneak up on us. Let's add some more. You can fill in the blanks with anything you want, but here's four that I thought of. In addition to the Bible examples, possessions. Some people trust in material things. That is warned about over and over and over in the Bible. It's one of the main things Jesus talked about was don't let material things get you. Don't take pride in them. Material possessions, let me just throw this out there. Even if it didn't cause any other problems, materialism causes all sorts of problems. But even if it didn't cause any problems except one, that one's bad enough. It causes bad stewardship. When you've got a materialism problem and you're proud of your possessions, you're spending your money unwisely. And people that have that pride that they have to have the, the right logo or the right name tag or the right brand or they have to shop at the right store, at the very worst, they're bad stewards. If they have to have all the right things on or possess all the right things or have a house in the right neighborhood or on and on and on. Sometimes I wonder what we could do if we weren't materialistic. Don't argue with them. We're, we're materialistic to different degrees, but we are materialistic. Sometimes I wonder what we could do if we weren't materialistic. When I was writing this little part, I thought, I wonder what we could do. I wonder how many missionaries we could support and how many TV stations we could broadcast on if we just didn't buy the big name brand super duper things. We don't need them to get by, but we do. 
Pride in possessions, dangerous thing. Pride in social standing. Some people think their position in the community or their social connections is what makes them who they are. Read a story about a small community. This pastor and his wife decided they'd have a big garden party. It's going to be the event of the season. They really did it upright. They decorated their backyard just perfectly. They even sent out engraved invitations because this was going to be a special deal. The night before the party, the pastor was looking through the guest list, and he, to his horror, he saw that there was one name left off. Uh, this old charter member of the church, the resident matriarch of the church, had been left off by mistake. He was appalled, so he immediately grabbed the phone. He called her. He apologized for his oversight. He asked her to please come anyway. She replied, it's too late, Reverend. I've already prayed for rain. Uh, Sometimes we get pretty proud of our social standing, don't we? Sometimes our race or our nation. should Should you be proud of your heritage? Should you be proud of your nation? Well, yes. But when you get to the point where you're looking down on others, then it's a problem. Pride in appearance. Some of us have pride of appearance. I read a story about the old Quaker farmer. Bought a new pair of overalls. Put these new overalls on, stood in front of the mirror, and since Quakers are noted for their simplicity and trying to avoid pride, he looked in the mirror and said, oh, this will never do. He said, I'll be much too proud in these. So he took off the new overalls and put on his old patched worn ones, stepped back in front of the mirror and looked and said, ah, you'd look good in anything. Sometimes we think we're making a little progress in the area of pride, and then it slips up on us, doesn't it? We sung a song before the sermon, None of Self and All of Thee. That's an interesting song. It goes through a progression, if you noticed. The first verse says, All of self and none of thee. And then it's some of self and some of thee. And then it's less of self and more of thee. And final verse is none of self. And all of thee. I don't know which verse you change your singing style on. At some point in that song, you have to, all of us, have to stop singing testimony and start singing goal. This is my testimony in verse 1. Yes, it used to be all of self and none of thee. And maybe at 2 and maybe at 3, but certainly at 4. We stop singing testimony and we start singing, this is my goal. I'd like to get here where it's none of self and all of thee. At some point, all of us have to make that transition because we're just not there yet. There is pride in our lives to some degree. Let's wrap up and clear the field of this problem. To clear the field of pride first thing I'm going to suggest is think like the tax collector. Go back and read that parable again. Luke 18, the tax collector, the publican, after the Pharisee had bragged about how great he was, the tax collector said, I'm a sinner. Uh, That's the fact. I'm a sinner. The only reason I'm here, the only reason I get to talk to God, the only reason I have anything is because God gave it to me. The moral of the story after the parable says, 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humble yourself first. Think like the tax collector. Just keep telling yourself, I am a sinner. You see, until we understand who we are and who God is and what we've done and what he's done for us, we've got it out of whack. That's where the publican had it figured out. He understood. He was just a sinner. So that's the first step. You've got to understand who you really are. And then with that attitude, start consciously working at looking at other people differently. Philippians 2.3 says, direct order, consider others better than yourselves. Now, I could give you a 20-step plan to get rid of pride, but I just gave you two. There's a lot of other details, a lot of other tips I could give you, but I want to keep it simple. If you think on these two, this is your plan this week, if your pride's your problem. If you just keep it this simple... First, say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And then look around and say, what can I do for other people? How can I serve somebody else because they deserve it? They're better than me. You'll start knocking pride in the head. If you just do those two little things. Remember, the same Jesus who said, I am come that they might have an abundant life. Also made very clear that whoever hears and puts into practice is wise. You got to hear and you got to do. I hope you all paid attention for the whole time like I encouraged you to do at the start. That's good if you heard what the Bible had to say. But now you got to do something about it. If you hear and do, you'll start to see some results. Life will get better. Life will get more abundant. If there's no change in your life, you know, we're Three or four weeks into this now, if there's no change in your life so far, then you've got a doing problem. If you've been listening, if you've been hearing and nothing's changing, you've got a doing problem. Because it's a guaranteed plan I keep giving you. Because it's from the one who came that we might have a more abundant life. He wants you to, have a, a, to be living an abundant life. The top abundant level is for us. It's what he came for. I came that they might have it. So take Jesus at his word. Some of you this morning have a particular problem with pride. Well, that needs to change. If you want the abundant life, that's got to change. Now this one, only you can work on before it's too late. Let me say that again. Only you can work on it before it's too late. And the reason I say that is because God will deal with it. Okay? Bible's pretty clear about that. All those examples that we read are pretty clear about that. Pride goes before a fall. It will bring you down. Remember that verse we just read? He will humble the proud. So only you can deal with it before it's too late and God finally deals with it. The Spirit is ready to help. We've been saying that every week as we talk about this. It's not all up to you. You just need to get to work and then the Spirit will get to work in your life. Ask Him to reveal the areas that you have pride in. I showed you 10 or 12 of them. You probably got more you could think of. Ask him to reveal where your problem is and then deal with it. Think about this. Even the very first step in claiming the abundant life, the very first step, 
of admitting that Jesus is Lord and putting him on in baptism, even that very first step is destroyed by pride. Is choked out and killed by pride. Many of you know all about Jesus. Many of you know that he died for you, that it's a free gift. Grace will save you. All you have to do is step out and admit that he is Lord and put him on in baptism. But pride will keep you in the pew. Pride will keep you from ever taking that first step. And it's different kinds of pride. Sometimes it's Pharaoh pride. People say, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I can handle my life on my own. I'll keep you in the pew. And sometimes it's a simple something as pride in appearance. Well, I don't want to go up in front of everybody. I don't want to get all wet in front of everybody. It doesn't matter. Satan doesn't care which one it is. As long as he can keep you in the pew. As long as he can keep you from responding to the Lord's simple invitation. If we can help you this morning, put Christ on in baptism or change something else in your life, the family of God is in place this morning to pray for you or do whatever you have on your heart. We invite you to come while we stand and sing.